Um, I think I'm going to divide this up into reflections on Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. But here's what I'm really trying to do. With Naomi, I want you to consider the role of God and the providence of God in Naomi's life. With Ruth, man, that commitment of Ruth to Naomi in chapter 1 is just an awesome parallel to our commitment to the Lord. And then the real story with Boaz. This whole kinsman-redeemer thing, and this whole Boaz-Ruth thing, is a parallel to us and Jesus. Boaz is the redeemer. Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus does the very same things as Boaz. Recovers our lost land, gives liberty to slaves, and marries the widow and raises up descendants for the deceased. That whole idea is in Jesus as our redeemer. And the same things Ruth did, we must do. Humble ourselves, wash ourselves, anoint ourselves, dress ourselves with our best clothes, you know, seek the Redeemer, flee for refuge, etc. And so, we're going to see that the whole underlying story of Ruth is really a foreshadowing of Jesus and us. So, those are, that's where I'm going, just so you'll have an idea. Uh, so, let's talk, talk about Naomi a little bit. You know, think about Naomi's plight. No food, outside the homeland, husband dies, son dies, what a tragedy. She still sees the Lord as in control, both in Moab and Judah, in, in charge of her sufferings, but she really thinks the Lord is her enemy. She sees her situation as desperate. She wants her daughters-in-law to escape God's punishing hand. She's bitter. But God is actually solving the problems. Her two big problems, food and family. God solves the problem of the food. The gleaning provides the food. God solves the problem of the family. She has Ruth, and through Ruth, she has Boaz and grandchildren. And how did God manage in his providence to do all that so hidden from Naomi for a long time? Well, God did all sorts of things. God was able to control chance events. She happened into Boaz's field. God used Boaz to answer his own prayer. God didn't take away human activity. You know, Naomi still suggests the plan to Ruth that she implements. But God ends up controlling all. God finally provides the son that she couldn't even conceive with Malon, but God gives her a son. So God is the one behind the scenes doing what seemed impossible. At the beginning of the story, in this first chapter, it looks like everything is against Naomi. And if she had only realized that God was working to provide an excellent result. Uh, you know, she receives a daughter-in-law that's worth seven sons. But, but what this really is, is not even just the story of the hand of God and the providence of God in the life of Naomi. He is preparing and building, building the family of David, which leads to Jesus. God, you know, the thing that we need to think about, when we feel so down and so overwhelmed and so like, where did God go and why isn't he doing this for me? Is God is doing much more than what we even realize. God, in the story of Ruth and Naomi, God is working toward things that were going to happen a thousand years later in the coming of Jesus. I mean, they would have had no way of being able to know that. We can only see a lifetime at most. But in the dark days of the judges, God is laying the foundation for a lineage that will produce the Savior. 
This is not Naomi's story. This is the Lord's story. This is not your story or my story. It's the Lord's story. We want the Lord's purpose to work out. When we feel like, I just don't understand why God would do this. Why blah, 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 blah. Remember this story. We now know why God did this. We now see how God's plan and work was leading to wonderful results, but you couldn't tell it at the beginning of the story. So I'm just impressed with the whole angle of Naomi trying to see the hand and providence of God and trying to learn to trust God more when I don't see why things are working the way they're working right then. A, God's got a plan, perhaps in my life, that's going to be realized a little later on. And B, I am one piece in a puzzle that's going to lead to God's will being done in a global sense. I will never know what that is. I will never be able to really see where all this is going to go. I need to submit to the Lord's will and do what he says now. He'll work the rest of it out. Thoughts and comments on that reflection? Number two, looking at Ruth. Wow, there's just so much about Ruth to admire. I mean, she makes that sacrificial decision in the very beginning to go with Naomi, to leave family, friends, homeland, chance for a new marriage, to basically sacrifice her future on the altar of serving Naomi. And then she refuses to leave even when Orpah does the sensible thing and leaves. Ruth has outlandish loyalty and devotion. She makes a complete break with the past. Think about this. Who else in the Old Testament left their homeland and their family to strike out for a new territory? She is Abraham's female counterpart in the Old Testament. But I think she does something even more radical than Abraham in some ways. How is her choice even more challenging than Abraham's? She didn't have a promise from God. She she didn't have this special call from God. And? Taking her family with her. Abraham had a wife and and a nephew that he took. And? Abraham had material resources that he took. I mean, what Abraham did is amazing, granted. But in some ways, Ruth has an even more extraordinary commitment. And she just puts aside everything about herself and and works for the benefit of Naomi and the family. But especially, this commitment, what she says in verse 16 and 17... Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. You know, this is such a firm commitment, persistent commitment. You know, I mean, she's had everything to persuade her not to do this. And she is absolutely determined. And so you look at, what does she say? Where you go, I will go. 
You remember that guy in Luke chapter 9 that told Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, the birds have nests and the foxes of the, old, uh, foxes of the, the earth have, have holes, but I don't have a place to lay my head. Now what he's saying is, before you say where I go, you'll go, you ought to think about where I'm going and whether or not you're really willing to go there. Ruth was. You know, you think about committing that to Jesus. If we say to Jesus, where you go, I'll go. Where did he go? Well, he sacrificed security and comfort. He served. He faced difficult, very difficult situations. And he still was committed to his father. If we say to the Lord, where you go, I'll go. He's been in some hard places. He's made a lot of serious sacrifices. You know, she says, um, your people will be my people. You know, are we willing to do that? I mean, that's Jesus said, who's my mother and my brother, my sister? Those who do, do the will of God are my family. You know, if we really follow Jesus, then our ties with the people related to Jesus are closer than our ties to the people related to us. We have, as our family, those who are the Lord's children. Your people will be my people. And then she says, your God will be my God. What kind of relationship did Jesus have with his father? Well, you can look all through the Gospel of John. He says, I didn't come to do my will, but his will. I didn't come to please myself, but please him. I don't do anything on my own initiative, but whatever he tells me. I don't speak my own words, but the words he gives me. Jesus was absolutely dedicated in every way to having his Father's will be the dominant, controlling factor in his life. She says, where you die, I will die. Where did Jesus die? <laughs> Think about that. You know, are we willing to do that? Jesus said, unless you die, you have no life. You know, like the seed dies and then it springs up and has life. Jesus died not only the crucifixion. Think about the ridicule, the mockery, the rejection, the injustice, and the fact that he didn't complain. Are we willing to die where and how and as he died? Are we willing to have that commitment? And then she says, you know... And, and there will I be buried. You know, she's willing to just commit herself. She says, may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. You know, she commits herself to absolutely serving and being loyal to Naomi no matter what. That's the kind of commitment we need to have to the Lord, to Jesus. If she was willing to have that kind of commitment to Naomi... How much more this ought to be a model of our commitment to Christ. And I mean, really, all of that statement you can meditate on. You know, this you could you could work on that for a long time and think about, you know, she committed herself in this way. What if we committed ourselves to Christ in this way? You know, so I really think that's just a beautiful statement of commitment that she followed out. This wasn't just a statement, she lived it. And, and that, that it's just an ideal expression for us of the commitment we ought to have to the Lord. Comments and questions about that? All right. The real story, though, 
is the story of Boaz. And that's what we need to think about more. Go back. And let's just follow through and then we'll talk about the parallels. But think about, first of all, what I said the role of the Redeemer is. The Redeemer recovers, redeems the, the relative's lost land, recovers, redeems the liberty of the enslaved relative, and marries the widow, and raises up descendants for the deceased. Now think about Boaz. I mean, think about Boaz all the way through this. Great attitude. He was happy to have Ruth glean. He did everything you could absolutely imagine to do to make the gleaning as secure and comfortable and fruitful for Ruth as you could possibly do. He fed her. He gave her special privileges. And then he agrees to be her redeemer. He agrees to buy back the land Naomi sold. He agrees to redeem Naomi and Ruth out of their bondage, out of their humble situation, out of their plight. And he agrees to marry Ruth and raise up a descendant for Malon, her ex-husband. So Ruth, I mean Boaz in this, just shows great generosity, great favor, great willingness to do everything possible to bless Ruth and correspondingly Naomi. So think about the steps Ruth took. Ruth was humble. Do you see that in this? I mean, her attitude was, wow, why have you favored me? I'm just a foreigner. She really humbles herself. She really recognizes her position. And then she does exactly what Naomi says. She bathes herself. She anoints herself. She dresses herself up. And she seeks Boaz. She seeks him to redeem her. She flees for refuge. She wants him to cover her. And, uh, and, and, and look at chapter 4, verse 14. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. She sought him, and the Lord did not leave her without a redeemer. That is such a um, significant statement, uh, because it means so much more when we start thinking about, is this not exactly Jesus and us? How many passages in the, in the New Testament speak of Jesus as the redeemer? There are several, or that his work was to redeem us. And how does he redeem us? Well, he does the very same thing. He recovers our lost property. Do you remember Hebrews 2? Hebrews 2 is, God talks about Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, God uh, gave man glory and honor, made him a little lower than the angels, and gave him absolute dominion over everything in creation. That's Psalm 2. The Hebrew writer says in verse 8, but we don't see man in that position. Do you see man now only a little lower than the angels? Do you see man now crowned with glory and honor? Do you see man absolutely dominant over everything? 
in the garden. How many animals were a threat to Adam and Eve? None. Remember when Adam had the animals just come to him and he named them? I don't know that I would want all the animals to come to me close enough I could name them. I don't think the animals would do that. But in the garden before the fall, everything was harmonious. Adam was in charge. What animals can kill you now? Yes. Yes. Big ones? Medium-sized ones? Snakes? Spiders? Little bitty ones? Germs? Bacteria? Viri, if they're uh, viruses, I guess. If they are uh, animals, I don't know if they count, count quite. But there's all kinds of stuff. We don't have the dominion we did. What, have, what has happened? The fall causes us to lose some of the position. We forfeited some of the territory that God gave us. So what he says, look at Hebrews 2. I think we probably need to just see this. Because this is exactly what Jesus has done. Hebrews 2. And verses 6 through 8 cites the psalm and says, Here's how God created us, but for in subjecting, this is the middle of verse 8, all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Verse 9, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus became a man, suffered as a man, so he would recover for us what we lost. So he would give us back our glory and our honor. He would put us back in the image of God. He would give us back, ultimately, all the things we lost in the fall. Jesus was our Redeemer to recover the lost territory, to recover our lost status. Jesus was our Redeemer to recover freedom. We had sold ourselves into the slavery of sin. We were facing sin and death. But Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus redeems us from our slavery. He buys us back and gives us freedom again. And then he marries the widow and we raise up descendants. You know, that maybe is a little more of a stretch, but we're the bride of Christ. We are those who are married to him. And uh, we give him our families. Um, so Jesus is our Redeemer. Now, Maybe I think I'll pause there. I said an awful lot in that. What I want to come back to in a second is how we parallel Ruth and how we respond to Jesus' offer to be the Redeemer. But do you have some questions or comments to this point? Does that make some sense so far? All right. Think about our parallels to Ruth then and our response. What do we first have to do? Recognize our humble status. We need to be poor in spirit. Isn't that where the Sermon on the Mount begins? We have to recognize our need 
need our helplessness, our lostness, and that we desperately need a redeemer and we can't redeem ourselves. What do we do? It's so fascinating to me when Naomi tells Ruth, wash yourself, anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes. What do we do? How do we wash ourselves? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. We have the anointing, 1 John chapter 2, which I think is the, the revealed word that, that consecrates us to God. And are we to dress ourselves in our best clothes? What are we supposed to put on? Christ. Christ. Galatians 3. The new man. Ephesians 4. So we are to wash ourselves, anoint ourselves, and close ourselves with our best clothes. We seek the Redeemer. The same way Ruth appealed to Boaz to redeem her, we seek Jesus to redeem us. We flee to him for refuge. And we praise the Lord because he has not left us without a Redeemer. Now I think this is just incredible. You know, you look at this story, and on one hand, this is just a story. This is just a story of, you know, this family that was in trouble, and God took care of them. And then you look at it again, you realize, no, this is actually the story of God working his plan out to lead to David and to lead to Jesus through this family. And then you look at it again, you say, no, this is actually my story. That I was actually in Ruth's position, and Jesus became my kinsman redeemer. He was the Boaz is the foreshadowing of Jesus, and Ruth is the foreshadowing of the things we must do to come to Jesus and receive Him as our kinsman redeemer. So I think that this story is a story that you could read and never realize what it was talking about, but that ultimately this story goes way beyond the story of Ruth and Boaz, and it's really our story. And the more I see things like that in the Bible, how did God do that? If you tell me uninspired men wrote this story, that is baloney. There is no way that hundreds of years before Jesus that somebody designed a story like this that told this so perfectly. And this is just one. I mean, when you're talking about you know, how many times have you done, like, here are the characters in the Old Testament that are foreshadowings of Jesus? Who would be your top three characters in the Old Testament that are foreshadowings of Jesus? Joseph. Joseph. Noah. Noah. Moses. And David. Moses. David. Abraham. Abraham. Isaac. Elisha is a big one that we often don't mention, and so forth and so on. Well, you better put Boaz in this list. You know, you ever thought about Boaz as a foreshadowing of Jesus? But he is. I mean, how did God design something where everywhere you look in the Old Testament? You remember the passage in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection, when uh, then beginning, this is Luke 24, 27, then beginning with Moses, and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In that, in that interesting, in all the scriptures, he explained to them the things about himself. I wish I'd heard that sermon. 
You know, I bet there's some scriptures I've still never even dreamed that he showed you how they applied to him. And so, you know, to me, I couldn't go to an atheist and impress him with this. Because he's not going to pay enough attention to figure this all out. But to me, the, the older I get, the more things like this I see. My faith is strengthened so much by the fact that things that gave me faith to begin with have almost been totally eclipsed. <laughs> there are so many other deeper, more profound things that are more subtle. That for their subtlety even increase my faith even more. I mean, you can't tell me this is a product of human thought. I cannot accept that. You know, it just becomes too apparent when you just look at story after story after story after story, how all these things work together and how everything's leading to Jesus. I just don't think there's anybody smart enough to figure that out. And certainly not 40 people over 1,500 years writing this thing. Thoughts and comments? It's interesting that Boaz wouldn't have been what Ruth would have gone for if she were short-sighted and looking for what would be the most fun. Same way Jesus isn't that either. You know, most people aren't interested in Jesus, they're interested in the world. But Jesus is the only one who can take care of their deepest need. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when we want pizzazz and excitement, you know, we're thinking very shallowly and we aren't turning to the one who can really redeem us. That's good. Because I hadn't thought about that. And once you start seeing this, then all sorts of angles open up in the story that you can see deeper thoughts in. You see why we need to study the Bible more. You know, it's like, wow. You just think, how many more buried treasures are there in the Bible that we've never even thought about? That none of us, you know, we've never, you know, I wonder how many things there are that, that, you know, we will never, ever see before we die that are there, that are right there if we just looked at them. So I think Bible study is really exciting. And I really like the story of Ruth. Because I always like whichever story I'm teaching at the moment. Anything else you want to say about all this? Well, we got done, so that's cool. It's kind of nice to be able to do this in one session, since otherwise you've got different people who don't know the